From RTE News, this is States of Mind. Donald, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. Little Buddha touch, Slippy Joe and Crazy Bernie, Mini Mike. I hit Pocahontas way too early. We have a president who is not only a pathological liar. We have a criminal living in the White House. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Let's just pick somebody, please, and let's start this thing. Let's start it. Pick somebody. Your U.S. Election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. I, Bernard Sanders, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of mayor of the city of Burlington. Then together, standing united, we will go forward to defeat Donald Trump. You know, now we're stuck between 45 and Joe Biden. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. It wasn't exactly the Paul Bradleys of long goodbyes in 2016 when he was up against Hillary Clinton. While this campaign is coming to an end, our movement is not. After four years of preparation, more than $100 million in donations and 414 days of campaigning, Americans just were not ready to put their eggs in Bernie's basket, Brian. No, and it was looking like a very healthy basket not that long ago, Jackie. If you think of the first few caucuses and primaries. Bernie did really well. Big successes in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then Nevada, where he did extremely well and won a big chunk of the Latino vote. And everybody started to say, this is Bernie's time. But I congratulate Bernie Sanders. Will Bernie be the nominee? I think so. But it wasn't to be. And as we all know, Joe Biden blew him out of the water in the next contest, which was South Carolina, winning that massive share of the African-American vote. And it was downhill from there. Biden got all the endorsements, got all the momentum, got all the hype, the praise, and Bernie Sanders faded away and was left with little choice but to drop out. And I think since this is most likely going to be his final bid for the presidency, this episode of States of Mind warrants a Sanders special in a way. Who is he and what is his lasting legacy after two runs? And for our refresher this week, let's just get into the bones of Bernie Sanders uh, before we put some meat on him. And I suppose we have to go back all the way to 1941 first, where he was born in Brooklyn, New York, the son of Jewish parents of Polish descent. He's been very open that his family struggled financially and that income inequality he experienced himself would become one of his key political issues. My mother, for example, uh, who died very young, uh, her dream was to own her own home and move out of the apartment. And that was a dream that she never fulfilled. So, you know, the, the conflicts that take place between your parents, you know, uh, uh, when you don't have enough money is something that impacts kids pretty, pretty harsh. And yeah, and he didn't stay a New Yorker for long, Jackie. He left New York, but that drive for equality, social reform, it, it really got ramped up over the following years. Yeah, he popped off to the University of Chicago in the early 60s where he got a BA in political science. And I say popped off because he wasn't exactly a great student and he'd admit that himself because he was more on the streets than behind the desk after becoming involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s. 
and where he was arrested. Photo of a young Bernie Sanders, you know, wearing, I think, painter's pants and his Stan Smith's and horn rim glasses. <laughs> looks a bit like Al Franken being arrested in 1963 on the south side of Chicago in the midst of the civil rights movement. Trying to desegregate school housing at the University of Chicago. You were even arrested. Don't tell anybody that. <laughs> and he doesn't hold back when it comes to that, when he talks about that. There's almost a twinkle in his eye. Uh, but it was all about that drive and that passion for equality. And it's safe to say that he's changed very little since then. Yeah, and he himself would say that many of these social democratic beliefs that he's known for and that he campaigns for throughout his career, that this, a lot of it, stemmed back to his time in a kibbutz or a community farm in Israel. Yeah, after all of those years in Chicago, he lived in Israel for a couple of months in a collective community and farm, one that was built on many of the same ideals, as you said, that are now hallmarks of his political platform. He spent much of his time working in the fields, picking apples, peaches and pears with other volunteers. Sounds like a dream. Uh, apparently, they all lived in identical houses. There wasn't any salary and everyone received, uh, you know, according to their needs, which very well could have had another influence on a young Sanders as one of his primary drives behind his platform is to share the wealth and narrow the gap between the rich and everybody else. Values there, very similar to the social democratic values, giving freedom to the individual, but with responsibility for the whole. What democratic socialism means to me. And it builds on what Martin Luther King Jr. said when he stated, and I quote, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor, end of quote. And then he took all of the ideas and took all of this knowledge that he had obtained in Israel, moves back to the US, and that's when we really see Bernie Sanders start to ramp up his political activism, the rallying and lots of protesting. You know, he was born in New York and people go, wait, but he ended up in Vermont. Apparently, him, his then wife and his brother pooled some inheritance money together and bought a small piece of land in Vermont, which is very different to the condensed uh, nature of New York City. Vast fields, quite rural as well. He did some odd jobs, a union carpenter and a freelance journalist. And he was back on the marching line too, active against the Vietnam War movement, which only drew him further into politics. And who knew, but after many attempts to get to Washington in the 70s and the 80s, we had unsuccessful bids for governor and even the Senate. He, Bernie Sanders was eventually elected to become the mayor of Burlington, where he had settled with his soon-to-be second wife, Jane O'Mara Driscoll, after the breakdown of his first marriage. Many people in Burlington are still in a state of shock following that city's most stunning political upset in memory last month. Bernard Sanders, one of the founders of the Liberty Union Party and a consistent loser in previous quests for elective office, was now the big winner. Considered by many to be unelectable because of his so-called radical views. I, Bernard Sanders, do solemnly swear. I, Bernard Sanders, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of mayor of the city of Burlington. The office of mayor of the city of Burlington. Yeah, so we talk about the shock of him being elected to the office of mayor. Well, that shock continued and defying expectations as he moved up the political ladder and he won his first election for the U.S. House of Representatives back in 1990, representing Vermont, the first independent elected to the House in about 40 years and the first socialist elected in decades. Now, during his time in the House of Representatives, 
He sometimes angered and alienated both sides, Democrat and Republican, because he would criticise any politicians who got big, wealthy donors. He set up a congressional progressive caucus. He really carved out his own niche as this progressive. He also went on to work with both sides from time to time, particularly when there was a particular bill he wanted to get through. And because he was independent, he was sometimes able to sort of set up channels of communication with different parties. And he actually won the title of the Amendment King at one time because he was able to tack on all these amendments related to his policies onto various pieces of legislation that were going through the House. He voted against the war in Iraq. He also voted against a piece of legislation called the Brady Bill, which would have mandated background checks for firearms. Now, this is something that would come back to haunt him in recent months in the most recent election campaign. Bernie Sanders voted five times against the Brady Bill that I was passing, five times against background checks and waiting periods. And uh, he went on to, as we know, uh, move to the Senate, move to bigger and better things, you could say, again as an independent. But when he won his Senate seat in 2007, he got some pretty big-name endorsements from pretty big-name Democrats. So he was always known as someone who would caucus with the Democrats and who would vote with the Democrats at least most of the time. He had that memorable filibuster in 2010 where he held the floor for nearly nine hours uh, against the extension of the Bush tax cuts as well. He just went on. A massive tax increase on the working people of America. And on. This is Bruce Bartlett, who I am quoting. And on. That this is the beginning of an effort to destroy uh, Social Security, and I would... Yeah, so as we know, the filibuster is this wonderful American institution whereby you can stand on the floor and go on for hours and hours and hours and hours to get your point across, but there's all these rules about not being able to sit down and not being able to take a break. Eight and a half hours he went on for back on the 10th of December 2010. It was arguing against this bill that would have prolonged Bush-era tax rates. The bill was ultimately successful, but he argued that it would favour the wealthy... This was really held up as this historic filibuster speech. It got turned into a book and all the proceeds from the book went to charity. And it really did put Bernie Sanders on the big stage and it uh, got his name pretty much a household name. It really did boost his profile at the time. And he was re-elected to the Senate again in 2012 and again in 2018 by very, very big margins. A big name, household name, popular politician, pushing his progressive policies and his social democratic policies all the time, like increasing the minimum wage, and then his big signature healthcare bill, Medicare for All, and of course, as we mentioned earlier, campaigning for tax reform. And that brings us to the last four years, probably the biggest in his career. Bernie Sanders was an independent, as you said, Brian, who flirted with the Democrats throughout much of his career, but never really committed. He was he was that kind of guy. Back in 2014, there was a group, though, that went, hmm, I, I think this good guy could commit and change the face of the party. And that was the Progressive Democrats of America. They began a petition drive to persuade Sanders to run for the presidency and go from an independent to a Democrat. When Sanders attended its 10th anniversary celebration in May of that year, PDA presented him with the petition 
That event marked the beginning of a push by the organisation to encourage him to run for the Democratic nomination. Connor Boylan and Mimi Kennedy uh, from Progressive Democrats of America. 12,000 signatures. Run, Bernie, run. Bring up the issues. Make us proud that there's actually a Democratic Party the way it should be. Thank you all. Very, very much. Connor, how does a man from NACE end up working on Barack Obama's campaign in 2008 and then persuading Bernie Sanders to run and now lives in Ohio? I think just to kind of get a full flavor, you kind of unfortunately have to go back all the way to 20, 2006 when I first moved to the U.S., um, I, my background's engineering. I moved to Portland, Oregon. Um, kind of started getting involved in politics when o- uh, Barack Obama um, was running uh, for president. Um, in the primary stages, um, he was up against Hillary Clinton. Basically, I kind of got that's how I got involved in politics. Ended up working in the, on the general election in Ohio uh, when he was up against John McCain. But fast forward, so I ended up getting a job with Progressive Democrats of America, working on numerous uh, campaigns across the country. So I ended up having a been, been in a great position where I was able to travel the United States and meet various people along the way and work on various campaigns along the way. Run, Bernie, run and feeling the burn. Bernie gets all the best slogans, doesn't he? But come here, it wasn't enough again this time round, Connor. Give us a sense of... Maybe your own personal disappointment when he made his announcement in recent days that he was dropping out. And what do you attribute it to? I mean, all the pundits are saying it's the usual things. If he couldn't broaden the base, he couldn't attract that African-American vote. Why do you think it didn't happen for him again this time around? And how did you feel when it, you realised that it wasn't going to happen? Um, you know, obviously, extremely disappointed. You know, having seen him run in 2016 and now in 2020 and not quite finish the get over the finish line brian um you know it is important to realize that he had over seven million votes and gains almost a thousand delegates it, it it is hard i think you know honestly you know there was always that something pulling people back um from voting for bernie on those super tuesday states there was a lot of concern the media were putting out some narratives around the word socialism and stuff like that so i think people had a bit of fear put into them um, and also, you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of candidates like Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar endorsed Joe Biden. So people who would have voted for those candidates ended up voting for Biden because, you know, of the endorsements. So I just think it was like the perfect storm for Joe Biden going into Super Tuesday. You mentioned the endorsements there. And of course, the big endorsement in recent days, well, one of them at least was Bernie endorsing Joe Biden. But concern out there that maybe a lot of his progressive supporters won't go along with that. His own, was it, was she, the, his former spokeswoman, Brianna Joy Gray, said, well, he might be endorsing him. I'm not going to endorse him. Do you think progressive supporters will row in behind Joe Biden? Will you personally now row in behind Joe Biden? Oh, oh, 100%. I think, you know, the main objective is to defeat Donald Trump come November. You know, time is a great healer. Um, and I think, you know, people are very upset right now. But, you know, the next couple of months, you know, especially with Bernie, Bernie's going to go on the campaign trail, I'm sure, for, for, for Joe, you know, having Barack Obama endorse. So it looks like the full team, let's call it the team of the, the Democratic Party, is kind of, you know, the main establishment is jumping on board. The coronavirus outbreak has really sharpened attention on economic inequality and healthcare disparities in the States. That's probably helped Bernie Sanders and his legacy. It seems that, you know, Bernie Sanders having that young, energetic movement behind him 
with those ideals has kind of pushed Joe Biden now more to the left. I, I think it's huge, you know, in terms of like income inequality has become a, a, a mainstream, you know, what people talk about it almost every day in this country. Medicare for all, actually having a healthcare system where everyone has access, every man, woman and child has access to quality, affordable healthcare is, is crucial, you know, in, in this day and age, especially after what's, what, what's happened with the COVID-19 crisis, where people have lost their jobs and their healthcare was tied to their jobs, so they've lost their healthcare as well. You know, Bernie has been pushing, though, continuing to push that message. He's always been on point. Now more than ever, I think, you know, there needs to be a real platform to show that, you know, people need to be helped up in this country right now and across the world, obviously, you know, and I think Bernie's, you know, platform really shows that 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 needs to be done now more than ever, really. The current president, Donald Trump, he's eager to seize upon comments by Bernie Sanders about the political establishment. And he wrote on Twitter, quote, this ended just like the Democrats and the DNC wanted the Bernie people should come to the Republican Party. Bernie Sanders said in his goodbye to his campaign about the power of the corporate and the political establishment and that it's one of the greatest obstacles for real social change. Does does Trump have a point and is the Democratic Party really as fractured as people report? Trump, Trump does has, has a point. You know, I'm here in Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and Ohio went for Trump in the last election. So, you know, the Rust Belt states, I think, you know, people saw that there was a power establishment within, you know, the traditional Republican and Democratic parties where they felt left out and they saw Trump's message as being, you know, something, you know, you know, it's an outsider, a businessman, try something different. What have we got to lose? That kind of attitude. Whereas, you know, I think, you know, Bernie also offered that for progressives and left-leaning people in this country, that there is a power establishment. You know, maybe some people want to say fair hands right now. That's fine. I Like, I totally understand that. But I do think, you know, Bernie kind of showed people there's an alternative here. He started what he called a political revolution in, tw- in, in 2016. You know, there's plenty of people who have been elected. You know, you talk, talk about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, you know, people like that who, you know, might have thought before, yeah, this is a, you know, a, an inside game. It's all about who you know, you know, whereas, you know, people can see that, she, you know, there's a glass ceiling that's been broken by a lot of people who've run for Congress and gotten elected. You know, for a lot of communities, this is an issue of life and death. We've had kids in cages. We've had a pandemic response that happened way too late uh, that has cost us lives. We have people that um, don't have access to critical care that they need. I think it's really important that we rally behind um, our Democratic nominee in November. I think I would absolutely say yes. I think she's definitely got presidential aspirations. There's no doubt about it. You know, I think she could potentially run in four years. Um, I think she's that committed. But I find fascinating about AOC, she's so young, she actually couldn't run now if she wanted to. So she couldn't. Don't you have to be is 35? Yeah, and she's, I think yeah. she's 30. Just 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I'm just Googling 30. her here now, 30. <laughs> she's the kind of person that makes you wonder, what did I do with my life when you're running? <laughs> when you're run, <laughs> potentially running for president and you're only 30. You know, and she's gaining, she's gotten her name out there. I mean, like, she, people don't even call her by her proper name. AOC is like, you know, she's kind of come out of nowhere and it's just like, you know, obviously a firebrand incredibly smart, incredibly, you know, fearless. Well, Connor, you kicked off the Bernie Sanders campaign many, many years ago with Run, Bernie, Run. It looks like the policies and the ideologies will run and run anyway for some time to come, even if the man won't. Connor Boylan, thank you very much for joining us on States of Mind.
Hi, Shyla. It's Jackie here from RTE. Um, are you okay to talk now? I certainly am, Jackie. How are you? Good. How are you? Brian is here as well. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for talking with us. Thank you. Um, just to test the levels, Shyla, can you tell us, uh, just tell us where in the world you are and what the weather is like so we can make sure the sound quality is okay? Um, I am uh, speaking to you from the Vermont side of the shores of Lake Champlain, where it is a brilliantly sunny day, but quite chilly, as is usually the case in April in the Northeast. <laughs> we are uh, very close to the Canadian border here. That sounds lovely. And great. thanks to your dad as well, Garrison, for passing on your details. It was great to have him on the show a couple of weeks ago. That's wonderful. Charlotte, tell us about your connections to Bernie Sanders and the Sanders family. You've known them for quite some time. That is correct. Yes, I have the sort of strange and wonderful distinction of having known Bernie longer than his political career. <laughs> um, I met Bernie first in 1978. I was a kid. I was 10. And... Um, I was introduced to Bernie at, of all things, a, a bowling party with a group of um, families and friends that were uh, involved at the time in Vermont politics. And so because my father, as you know, is a political scientist, I was sort of part of that circle of friends and met Bernie and his son, Levy, who is a, a schoolmate of mine as well. When you were a child and, you know, going into your teenagers, did you know he was involved in politics? Was it something that he talked about at the dinner table or on different outings? So I grew up in the city of Burlington, Vermont, of course, and Bernie became our mayor when I was 13. And and I watched the evolution of our city going from a, a community that really didn't know who it was. There was a vast chasm between the academic community, of which I was a part, and the more working class community, the what we call the town and gown phenomenon. And uh, we watched that those bridges be built over the course of Bernie's leadership and administration as our mayor. And Burlington became one of the most robust, dynamic, arts thriving, livable cities reported uh, nationally and internationally for years as part of that legacy. Um, fast forwarding to these last two national presidential campaigns, um, I very intentionally did not choose to pursue an opportunity as a, as a paid staffer with a campaign, rather have felt all along that my most impactful and effective role would be as a, as a kind of volunteer, um, an online surrogate as well, and then serving as a national delegate for Bernie at the Democratic National Convention in 2016, where um, I was called upon to second his nomination for president of the United States. What was that sense like? What was that feeling like? You know, you got to, you got to be the seconder, you got to push that nomination. It must have been an honor as somebody who had known him for so long. Please welcome Shyla Nelson, delegate from Vermont. So with pride, gratitude, optimism for the future we all build together. I stand before you for the purposes of seconding the nomination of our friend and hero, Senator Bernie Sanders. It was, it was an honor and it was fraught with very complex emotions. 
because because the reality is I was called in very last minute as a result of the silencing of one of one of Bernie's most eloquent, passionate, visionary and courageous surrogates, the indomitable Nina Turner, who had been quite vocal leading up to the convention in raising criticisms about the the way that the party had handled Bernie's campaign and his candidacy. And the DNC essentially indicated to Bernie that in no uncertain terms, they were, not, they were not going to give her her voice at the convention. And in the last minute scramble, I was called upon by Bernie to, to take her place. And it was an excruciatingly difficult emotionally, philosophically, uh, politically uh, thing for him to have to do and for me, um, particularly as um, my grandfather, my father's father, uh, served as the only white confidant of Malcolm X during the civil rights era. And so I carry a deep sense of responsibility for raising the voice of African-Americans, Nina Turner, uh, chief among the women who have been um, exceptional uh, voices for the disenfranchised. So it was simultaneously one of the greatest honors of my life and also one of the most heartbreaking. I came across an open letter to the DNC penned by yourself, Shyla, back in 2016. It's just after Hillary Clinton was anointed with the nomination um, for the Democratic Party to go forth into the election for president of the United States. In it, you said, let the record show that in the face of at least four federal investigations, email scandals and the unraveling of America's remaining trust in your candidate set against the backdrop of a neo-fascist opponent who has demonstrated he can beat her. Your party leaders have failed to heed the concerns of your constituents and have thereby imperiled the safety and stability of our nation and world. I can I can feel the heat from that letter here, but have your thoughts changed now on the DNC and with what is going to be an inevitable Joe Biden nomination? Not only have they remained unchanged, I'd say they've deepened and broadened in my concern about the manipulations of the Democratic Party leadership in how it is that they are cultivating and grooming and advancing their uh, their intended candidates. I am at least, if not more, concerned about the vulnerability of Joe Biden as the presumptive nominee. I, I will be completely frank. I don't believe that Joe Biden has a chance against the machine of the GOP. Shaila, looking back on it all, is there a moment or moments amid the campaign madness, whether it was 2016, 2020, or even before that, during the time that Bernie went for mayor in Burlington, that still gives you goosebumps when you remember it? I try to choose one. Of course, the one that immediately popped to mind was uh, that moment on the stage in 2016 when Bernie was speaking and out of nowhere, a little bird arrived <laughs> and perched on the podium with him. And I think it it certainly spoke volumes of um, his character and the energy that he exudes that a, that an innocent little bird would just perch there and feel so safe to just linger for those few seconds and interact with him in whatever way they were interacting. That was a defining moment, I think, that that 
super, you know, the transcended word and policy and position and really got to the essence, the spirit, if you will, of what Bernie's campaign and his legacy as a leader has been all about. Brian, I don't know if you felt it, but there was a giddiness in the US media with a certain someone's return. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. I think there was some sense early on that people were thinking, well, why isn't he endorsing Joe Biden? They're meant to be very close. They're meant to be the best of friends. They were, of course, president and vice president. I think from Barack Obama's perspective, he very much wanted to take that back seat and stay at a remove until it was clear who the nominee would be. Also early on in the campaign, Joe Biden was asked, well, why isn't Barack Obama endorsing you? And he said, oh, I asked Barack to keep a back seat and to stay out of this until it became clearer. Now, of course, it is clearer. It is going to be Joe Biden. To go into that Barack Obama's video that he released when he said that he was going to be endorsing Joe Biden, reading between the lines, there seemed to be a very thinly veiled attack at the current administration in the video too, as Donald Trump comes under massive criticism for handling of the for his handling of the pandemic, but also shifting that focus to the World Health Organization. It's been an intense week for him. He's been sparring with journalists, sparring with governors, and now sparring with world organizations and leaders. On a previous podcast, Jackie, we spoke about what were our Netflix binges right now. And we spoke about uh, Tiger King. And I was telling you I was in the midst of succession. I've suspended all of that. I have a brand new box set that I'm addicted to every night. It starts at 5 or 6 p.m. on primetime TV and goes on for about two hours. And it is Donald Trump's coronavirus press briefing. These things have just taken on a life of their own now. And they are coronavirus briefings. But many of the time we won't get any information on the coronavirus, on latest statistics or anything like that. Instead, Donald Trump is more and more using these press briefings as campaign rallies because, of course, there can be no more campaign rallies because of the various lockdowns. And it's something that Joe Biden doesn't have right now. He can yeah. do these sort of Skype interviews from his basement, but they're very low-key. They're not getting much traction. Donald Trump has this big podium and this big opportunity to make these big statements every evening on primetime television. So we mentioned the endorsements, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. These are key for Joe Biden right now, and they're coming at a good time. Some people commenting they're coming much earlier than you would have seen, perhaps with the likes of Hillary Clinton, where she got a lot of those big name endorsements kind of more in the summer months. They're coming earlier for Joe Biden. And that's because I think he is under pressure and he's on the back foot in terms of campaigning because he doesn't have those big outlets that Donald Trump has. Before we go, it's probably the last time we'll hear comedian Larry David doing his great Bernie Sanders impression on Saturday Night Live. I mean, if people see Larry, he looks so like him. And it was like the most obvious choice of putting someone in there. He even sounds like him. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. It's one of these wonderful impersonations where he just, have to, he just kind of has to be himself. Hello, America. It's me, Bernie Sanders. Always a bridesmaid, never the Democratic comment. Um, also as well, Joe Biden, he now has an almighty task ahead of him, not only to unify the country, but also unify his party. Bernie Sanders seems to be part of that plan, considering a strong connection that he has with those younger voters. 
I think we should end on Bernie Sanders trying to get his base to move towards Joe Biden in what is going to be a very tricky task. But part of his plan is he did an online Q&A with rapper Cardi B this week. Not only entertaining, but actually a quite insightful conversation and I think a good way to end our Sanders special. It's okay, Uncle Bernie. The last time I got on live, I had a fit because I was so hurt and upset that you dropped out of the, the race and everything. And now we are, are, you know, now we're stuck between 45. We, we, won't, we won't name them over here. You know what I'm saying? We ain't going to name them over here. And Joe Biden. And, you know, I'm just going to go with Joe Biden because I think, and I, and I don't know, you tell me, I think we are going to enter, like, a recession. And I hope your viewers work with me and others in Congress in demanding that Congress stand up for workers, because a lot of people are hurting today. They're worried about getting evicted. They're worried about not having enough food. They're worried about going bankrupt because they can't pay their debts. Well, we're going to stand up for those workers, and you're going to always have my support. And um, Joe Biden for 2020. Okay. okay. All right. Thank you, Carter. You keep up the great work. Thank Talk you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.